Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. We've got loads coming up today. As always, we'll talk a little bit about Ottawa Senator Setter Josh Norris. He gave a health status update as he recovers from that shoulder injury. We'll talk about the too many right-wingers conundrum with the Ottawa Senators. Do you shift one to the left? Do you drop one down to the third line? Hey, why is it Shane Pinto's side? Former Senator Eric Carlson meets the Pittsburgh Penguins media and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League's going to ban fighting. It's official now. When you fight, you are out of the game. Uh, We'll get to all of it today here on the program. Steve Warren along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. Greg, how are you today? I'm good, Steve. You run through the uh, the rundown there. And it, I know I'm start, starting to sound like a broken record, but it amazes me how we still manage to come up with things to talk. You, you, you find things for us to talk about. You're a genius. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. And I uh, hope everybody's having a fine Saturday morning. Grab a coffee and uh, hope you enjoy the show. We'll start with Josh Norris. That was something I wrote about in the hockey news, THN.com slash Ottawa this week. And he provided an update on his health status. He's recovering from another shoulder surgery. And so everybody's a little nervous about him. I think we can agree Tim Stutzla is now the new number one centerman on this team. But it wasn't that long ago, like right around a year ago this time, that Norris was in that role. But that shouldn't take away from the fact that if the Senators are to break that six-year playoff drought, they've got to have both of those guys pulling on the rope Josh Norris, an extremely important player, and he gave an update on the shoulder surgery on the Coming In Hot podcast with Brent Wallace, Jason York, and Bobby Ryan this week, and the quote was, yeah, I feel good. The first four to five months was the main grunt work. I kind of started to turn a corner probably about a month ago or so, and I'm feeling really good. I've been on the ice a ton. I'm back to training normally now, which is kind of nice. He does say he's still going to rehab but says he should be ready to play in some of the club's eight preseason games, which run from September 24th to October 7th. That's a good thing. I mean, it's good to get those, hear those words from Josh Norris, Greg. Doesn't guarantee anything, but it seems like everything is going according to Hoyle at this stage of the game, and that's just crucial for this team if they're to get back to the postseason. That's the biggest nugget out of the whole thing, right? It get, getting back, hopefully, ready to play the start of the season. You talk about ending the six-year drought uh, from the playoffs. How about just having a decent start? It would be much, much more, a much easier road if Josh Norris is healthy and ready to play right from the get-go this year. Like the Senators, we've talked about this ad nauseum. They cannot afford to have another bad start and uh, you're almost guaranteeing a bad start if you're starting off without uh, your number two centerman. Yeah, things have changed so much, like I say, in the last year because Tim Stutzla wasn't even thought of as a center necessarily. It was basically something thrust upon DJ Smith. Once Norris got hurt, that meant Tim Stutzla is now a full-time centerman in the NHL, baptism by fire. And I think we can agree that, yeah, there's still some defensive work to do. It's got to get better on those draws, but this is a top player in the league right now. And, uh, you know, there's no shame in the fact that Norris has gone from one to two here because this is going to be a special player, Tim Stutzler, for a very long time. Yeah, and it, don't forget also the other point here is it's it's the insulation that's provided by having yeah. Norris there. It, it allows Stutzler to maybe be a little 
uh, weaker defensively. It allows Stutzler to have a little more free reign. It allows you to have two lines and you can play the matchup game and, and get Stutzler away from the heavy checking uh, occasionally if you want. And uh, it's just that whole, the whole team is that much better from one player being in the lineup. Everything is so much easier. Guys fall into place positionally. Guys are on the right lines playing the right minutes uh, against the right competition. So it, it's a big, big deal, this this uh, recovery and, and, and having Norris back healthy. Yeah, and he's excited. He says he might come back to Ottawa by the end of August, even though Sens camp isn't supposed to start till September 21st. So all a good sign. And we even saw him earlier this summer at the PGA Tour Canada event. There was like the standard pro-am, and he was one of the ams and uh, was hitting the ball pretty well off the tee and looked good. And if you're able to hit a ball, you're getting close. There's no doubt about that. Um, so we'll see how it goes, but all signs looking very good for Josh Norris to get back in the lineup. And it, and it creates a good problem to have for DJ Smith because there is a wealth of guys on this team now that can play in your top six. You got Norris back in there, so your two centermen are set. You know, Brady Kachuk's going to play on that left side on the top line, but you could also be looking at, you know, we've learned in the last seven days that Tarasenko is hell-bent on staying on that right side. You've already got right shots in Batherson and Giroux. So are you dropping a guy down in the order, maybe down to the third line, or are you flipping a right winger over to the left side? It's not going to be Tarasenko. We've we've pretty much uh, got that right out of his mouth, and I don't think that DJ can afford to alienate uh, Vladimir Tarasenko right off the bat by putting him somewhere he doesn't want to be. I, I don't think that it's going to be Batherson. I can't see him playing the left side. So I, I really, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm on record as saying this. I'd love to see it be, uh, be, uh, Ridley Gregg. I'd like, like to see Ridley Gregg step up and play the left side and give you a third line of Kubalik with Pinto and Batherson. I think that would be like it, it, the, the depth of three lines like that is to me is probably more important than trying to work your way through a right shot playing left, left wing, trying to struggle with that because it, it would be very difficult. I, just, I can't see it being Drake Batherson. I don't know that he's ever played his off wing. Um, it's, it's, he's probably better than Kubalik, but maybe Kubalik gets it by default just because he's a left shot. He's over there. I just, I don't know. I want to see it be really Greg. I really do. That's that's my vote. And dropping Batherson. I would like to experiment with a number of things, and that would be one of them. Greg moving up into a top six role on the left side, potentially. But I, I do get a bit of pushback on social media when that's brought up. Like, what has Ridley Greg done to deserve even consideration in a top six role when you've got a guy like Kubalik who has scored 30 goals in a season in this league? Why would Kubalik not be the obvious choice over Ridley Gregg if you're going to elevate anybody on that left wing? Because I think that leaving, uh, having Kubalik on that third line makes the third line that much stronger. And let's face it, it's been a, been a problem here for a long time is that the third line's never been strong enough and able to produce anything offensively that I think that if you put if you, if Greg is good enough, what does he bring to the top six or why does he deserve to be there? Because he plays the type of game much more similar to Brady Kachuk than to anyone else on this team. And that's what's needed. Uh, I don't want to use the phrase hide, but you can, you can play a guy there with, uh, with, uh, Tarasenko and Norris, who doesn't have to be a 30 goal scorer. He can be a grinded guy. He can be a, a dirty nose guy. And that's the type of player I think that would fit best with those two players. And I don't look at it so much as a demotion 
to Kubalik. I just think, hey, buddy, you're, think of how many goals Kubalik's going to score and Batherson too. If they're playing on a third line, like, that's just wow. Like, look out. That gives you so much more in your top nine without necessarily weakening the top six. Of course, everything dependent on Ridley Gregg being able to play there and skate with those guys and perform like he needs to in a top six role. That's a guy that also has had shoulder injuries in the past. So you hope he shows up. I worry about him from his, you know, he's not a big player at all, but so feisty. If I have my druthers, I'd like to see that guy dial it back and focus a little more on the offensive side of things as well. <laughs> well, but if he plays there, okay, so what you're saying is what if somebody gets injured? Yeah. Well, okay, that, that settles all your problems, doesn't it? <laughs> There's a lot of depth here, Steve. This is a pretty good top 12 now that this team yeah. can put on the ice every night. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how DJ handles it and who plays with who. I think it's probably going to come down to more of a question of pairs what pairs of guys work well together and then slotting a third guy in. And if that's the attitude that the coaching staff takes and the pair of uh, Norris and, and Tarasenko show some chemistry together, then who cares who plays on their left wing then? At Jim K. Ford, we know that your business is your livelihood. That's why we offer a wide range of Ford commercial vehicles and Ford Pro services to meet all of your professional needs. Whether you're looking for a tough, durable pickup truck or a spacious cargo van, we have the perfect vehicle for you. And with Ford Pro, we make it easy to customize your ride with options and business solutions that are tailored to your unique requirements. Take your business to the next level. Come on down to Jim K. Ford or visit us online at jimkford.com. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! In this here segment, we want to talk a little bit about the four newcomers for the Ottawa Senators. Which ones are you most interested to see? You have, in goal, newcomer Yunus Corposalo. Up front, you have Vladimir Tarasenko. Dominic Kubalik. And who's the fourth one now? I've completely gapped on who the fourth one was. What oh, is Steve? That? Steve, Steve. What was your most recent article for the Hockey News? Oh, yeah. Josh Norris's return. No, Zach McEwen. Zach McEwen. That was hardly recent. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Gotcha. I can't keep up with you. You, you the, the prodigious amount of, uh, of words you spill out on that website every day. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So between McEwen, Kubalik, Tarasenko, and, uh, see, now I'm drawn by Corpusalo. Who are you? I, I am most interested in, I, I, I think there's there's a amount of pressure there on a Dominic Kubalik that that isn't on other players. He's the guy who came here in the trade, right? So there's some pressure on him. Mm-hmm. And I'm also interested in seeing how where he ends up in the lineup, like we just discussed in the first segment. Where's this guy going to end up playing? I think from a pressure situation, you can't compare Corpus Allo's under the most pressure, I would think. But I'm I'm really interested in seeing how. Kubalik plays, what kind of numbers he puts up, who he plays with. Uh, and, and like generally, like I said, where does he end up in the lineup? How many minutes a night is Dominic Kubalik going to play for this team? Is he going to get power play time or not? Because we know he's got a pretty good one-timer, but that spot seems to be spoken for uh, on the on the right flank with Tarasenko or Norris. So it's I'm, I'm most interested in watching Dominic Kubalik and seeing what happens there. How about you? For, for me, it's Corpus Allo, and it's not close. Because this whole thing is about building a Stanley Cup contender. And I don't see any more dramatic changes to this roster for the most part. You, you'll have to obviously replace either or both of them in Tarasenko and Kubelik because they both have one year left on their contract. But those will be support pieces. I feel like the core is here both up front 
and on defense. I want to see if Corpusalo is a Stanley Cup level goalie. And uh, it won't take long because this team is under a lot of pressure. This coaching staff is under a lot of pressure to end the six-year playoff drought. I want to see what that looks like. He helped LA get to the Stanley Cup playoffs last year. I want to know. That's the guy. I think that's because uh, I feel like up front, they've probably got enough punch up front offensively. With Chikrin's addition and other guys getting a little more seasoning, looking at you, Jake Sanderson, I feel like they're on their way defensively. But I don't know anything about the goaltending being close to Stanley Cup contention. And Corpusalo will be that guy that will supply those answers at some point here in the next year. His contract says he's number one goalie. He's paid accordingly. His contract says this is the guy who's going to be our guy, both in dollar amount and in term. But do you think he is? Do you think he'll be the long-term guy? Like in three years, do you think he's number one goalie here? Or do you think a cheaper, uh, less expensive Mad Sogard is the number one by then? And Corbisal is just an expensive backup or an expensive 1B by then. And by the time they're really good, Corbisal uh, is not even in the picture. Like that, that's the way I'm kind of, I'm thinking it's going to turn out. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, maybe the goalie of the future is one of the young guys in Maryland or Sogard or Mandelise. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, they're certainly not paying him to be that. Yeah, I mean, you 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 would have brought somebody in that you thought was a stopgap, right? And, and give him a two three year term if that was the eventual succession plan and goal for the Sens. I, I think they believe Corpusalo can be that guy, and I think they haven't written off Forsberg either. But uh, you know, in, in for the purposes of the question, all of that is what leads to me being most fascinated mm-hmm. with Corpusalo and what he can deliver. I'm I'm hopeful that he can be the guy. Uh, otherwise, that's yeah, that's a lot of money to invest in, in a backup goalie moving forward. But uh, yeah, that's that's where I am on that particular question. And, and and it leaves you to wonder also how much of that contract, as far as dollars and term for that matter, came down to we really want this guy. It's going to cost us an extra million a year, or it's going to cost us an extra one or two years. Like, could somebody else? Would he have signed somewhere else for four million for three years? But to come to Ottawa, it had to be five million. And oh, by the yeah. way, let's make it five years. You know, like it—it it leaves you to wonder how much of that was was sort of uh, uh, Ottawa based. <laughs> how much mm-hmm. of his contract is based on the fact that it's Ottawa versus another market? Right, right. I'm thinking about Martin Jones, who just signed on with the Toronto <laughs> Maple Leafs for about eight hundred thousand dollars. I certainly like Corpusalo better than Martin Jones, mm-hmm. but not by a dramatic amount. He's not exactly a, a big, long playoff pedigree there where I say I need to spend that much money on that particular goalie because he's going to be a difference maker for us. He might be that, but that just wasn't my impression necessarily when deciding about between an $800,000 goalie and a guy who's going to make, you know, what what is it, $20 million over the next five years, something like that. So, yeah, and, and it comes down to the strength of what has not been a strength for this team, the strength of your pro scouting. Like, do you trust these guys that they got it right? Like you, mm-hmm. you see contracts given to players that are about this age by somebody who says, this guy's ready to break out. He's worth a little more now. We're going to pay him a little more and get him here because we think he's ready to to pop, as we say. Well, is he or isn't he? What are we going to do? We're going to find out eventually how yeah. how well the, the senators are are projecting this, the progression of, uh, of Eunice Corpusala's career from here. I remain hopeful. 
that he can be the guy that the the duo they have can be. So long as somebody stops the puck, that's really all I ask. Because I feel like we're close, and the it's improvements that are to come. Yeah, yeah, that's a stop the puck. That's all I care about. But the uh, you know up front and on defense, I feel like the improvements now, generally speaking, will come from guys just getting more seasoning, getting a little older. Look at Josh Norris, for example. Like that guy's really only played a season and a half of NHL hockey at this stage of the game. So there's still lots of room for improvement within the core. Uh, so, like I say, yep. back uh, back in the net, just stop the puck. Moving on, <laughs> why isn't Shane Pinto signed exactly? That's the question that uh, a lot of Sens fans are curious about. I'll put it to you that there are two issues at play. Uh, that maybe he's asking for more than the Sens want to pay, whether it's money or term, which is usually the standard. Or it's a case of Pierre Dorian still trying to figure out how he's going to fit Pinto under the salary cap because this just in, the club has seven dollars $800,000 to work with, and Shane Pinto is going to want more than that to play hockey annually for the Ottawa Senators. Which of those two angles do you think is more at play and the reason why Shane Pinto is not signed. Of of those two, I'd say it's more to do with uh, finding the room, having the cap space. But I really think the main reason is they're just there's no pressure point yet. The, the, you know, the, when you're when you're signing players, there's pressure points. There's the draft. There's the beginning of free agency. There's the the day before your arbitration hearing. There's all sorts of little pressure points. And right now, the next pressure point is the opening of training camp. He'll be signed and he'll be on the ice for camp. I, I guarantee you that. Uh, the, the, the rest of the shuffling will be done by then. But that's that's the next pressure point. Right now, there isn't one. And they, they I'm sure the Senators are well aware of what uh, Shane Pinto's looking for. I'm sure that Shane Pinto's camp is well aware of what the Senators are offering. And it's just kind of sitting there for now. They probably haven't even talked in a couple of weeks. It's not like they've been negotiating every day and they just can't hammer out a deal. I'm sure that they're they're all aware of what everybody wants, what everybody's looking for, and when a pressure point comes, okay, we'll get a little we'll get a little nitty gritty time when there's about a week before training camp. It's interesting that there's no pressure point when you're talking about Eric Brandstrom. It was like wham, deal done. Uh, different, yes, but I mean Brandstrom is still making two million dollars a year, and to make Shane Pinto work, you can't give him a ton more than that. Yeah, because the the player wants to draw comparisons to other players uh, around the league. And the Senator's mm-hmm. perspective is in this market, this is what you are. We're not going to compare you to other players of your age and caliber. We're going to compare you to other third line centermen, right? That's the right. Senator comparable. The market comparison is completely different from a team market versus the player market. And as for Branstrom, you mentioned Branstrom, that was completely different because this is a player that you might want to trade. And he was signed to provide cost certainty. That's why he was signed when he was signed. Because if you want to trade him, you don't want to trade him as a free agent. You want to trade him with a deal in hand. Here it is. This is what you got to pay this guy if you want to take him. So I, I think he was signed for that reason and that reason alone. But as for Pinto, I'm sure that's all it is. What he, what he wants until what he wants as an individual sort of meshes with what the senators want to pay him as a third line center gets closer together. And that's not going to happen until we're closer to training camp. 
Looking for a vehicle that's environmentally friendly and fun? Look no further than the Ford Mustang Mach-E available now at Jim K. Ford. This electric car will have you laughing all the way to the bank with savings on gas and maintenance costs without giving up excitement and performance. And with zero emissions, you can finally breathe easy, literally. So if you want a car that's as exhilarating as it is eco-friendly, come down to Jim K. Ford today and take a spin in one of our Mach-E's today. Visit us online at JimKFord.com. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. In this segment, we're talking fighting. Saturday's all right for fighting, Greg, except the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, where no night is good for fighting. The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, that includes the Gatineau Olympics, just on the other side of the river, has changed the fighting rules. When you fight now, you are full-on ejected from the game. No worries about instigator. No worries about five-minute majors. You are just gone. And so the here it is. These are the here's what you need to know about the Quebec League rules. And this could change the game, really. This is the start of maybe if this goes great here, other leagues follow suit. But this is the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League's new rules. They state that anyone engaged in a fight will be ejected from the game. Any player found to have instigated the fight will get an automatic one game suspension. The player declared to be the aggressor during the fight will get a minimum two-game automatic suspension. Players involved in multiple scuffles in a season will start receiving an automatic suspension beginning with their second fight in addition to the other sanctions. Any questions in there? Because I have one. Like, what if you jump me, Greg? I'm minding my own business and you jump me? Am I not allowed to defend myself without getting thrown out of the game? Or do you risk being called a because you turtle? Because you don't want right. to get kicked out of the game. It's it's minor hockey rules, right? In a minor hockey right. rules, um, a lot of times that is what happens. You find yourself begging the ref to oh, just give him four each for roughing. You know, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think you may see a little bit of that happening for sure. Even when you look at it, and in the old days, the two guys were going at it. That we probably would have called it a fight, but instead they're going to get double minors for roughing. But the uh, the ultimate answer here is if one guy isn't really as active a participant as the other then, okay, give the one guy a fighting and an instigator and maybe an aggressor. Give the other guy roughing or or interference or uh, whatever you want to give the other guy. But it's it puts a lot of pressure on the officials. I wouldn't want to mm-hmm. be one trying to call some of these because you, you hit the nail on the head. That's the biggest question. The other one is, what about late in a game? Or no, what about early in a game? I, I want to take out their best player. My my fighter goes out and challenges him and, you know, suckers them into a fight in some way, shape, or form, and they're both out of the game. I've lost my fourth line plug. You've lost your first line stud. You know, it, it, it brings a lot of uh a lot of things into the game. A lot of gray area comes into the game and it puts a lot of pressure on officials. Are you happy with the decision? If you're say a Gatineau Olympic fan and you're at every game you don't mind the odd fight. How do you feel about it just as a hockey fan? Well, as a fan, it, it, let's let's get one thing clear here. It, it's not going to stop fighting. Like everybody always says, oh, they got to ban fighting. And people think that ban fighting means there's never any more fighting. Like baseball and football and basketball have banned fighting. They kick you out of the game, but there's still fights. Fights are still going to happen. The odd one, yes. Yeah, there's still going to be emotional uh, moments where a fight is going to happen. This just kind of takes takes away the planned fight, the orchestrated fight. It takes away the idiots running around looking for each other and, oh, there they are, that guy and that guy are going to go. It takes away a lot of the retaliation factor, 
with uh, you hit my good guy, I'm going to send my tough guy out to fight your guy or your tough guy or whatever. That's gone from the game. I think it, 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 there will still be fighting. There will still be fights, but it's going to be more of a spur of the moment, an emotional thing that happens. Two guys get ticked off. You insult my mother. I insult your heritage and off we go. You know, things like that are still, are still going to happen. So I, I think in the big picture of the world of sports in talking about concussions and injuries and, and all that side of things, this is a good thing. I think there'll be a lot of people, old school guys, especially in the National Hockey League, who are not going to be impressed. We've all heard about how, you know, the argument of if you take the fighting out of the game, uh, guys are running wild and it's the wild, wild west out there and you lose that opportunity for the players to police themselves within a game. I think we're going to hear a lot of that argument moving forward. Yeah, and it'll be a training ground to figure out exactly, is this helping? Is this really making guys safer? You know, if there's no fight now, you know, where guys take things into their own hands, they're mad or they want to get even for somebody, you know, because right now it's an automatic fight. If you throw a hard check on someone in the NHL, right. it's an automatic fight. You Even if it's the cleanest textbook hit in the world, you've got to answer for it. And now that's off the table. So what happens now to get your pound of flesh if you're either angry or want to get even with someone instead of a fight? Is it maybe now a late hit? You know, or, or really running a guy that maybe doesn't have the puck and isn't expecting it. Um, I'll be keen to see, you know, if it truly does make things safer. I will say as a fan, though, that with fighting in hockey, and I suppose this will expose me as older school, but I understand all the the safety attempts, and I and I there's a part of me that says, yeah, make things as safe as possible. But when you make me put my fan hat on, the games that get most intense and most interesting and most must-see television are the ones that have the odd scrap in them, where that takes me from enjoying a hockey game and and hoping my team wins to needing my team to win, and I'm all in on this game, and I'm intense, and this is unbelievable. I love this. Those are the games that I wonder with a lot of hockey fans. If those disappear, will the attendance drop? Will the interest level, will the ratings drop? That's one thing I'd be keen to see if you really not neuter the game a little bit from the emotion standpoint. I have a feeling that a lot of fans will just be watching the game like they always do, and they'll just for, for no reason kind of go, this feels a little bland to me. Yeah, because that is the spark of the fire of emotional investment in the game from a fan mm-hmm. standpoint. That fight is right. a spark. So, I mean, you make a good point, too, is that what happens if you can't drop the gloves and fight a guy that you're pissed off with, or you can't drop the gloves and fight a guy that you think has slighted somebody on your team? Does it turn into a headhunting, I'm running around throwing elbows everywhere, or am I charging guys, or is just checking from behind go up? Does dirty uh, blindside hits go up? Because Not necessarily because that's the type of game it is, but because that becomes the only recourse. I can't drop my gloves with that guy, but I can still take a five-minute major for charging, right? I can still take a five-minute major for clubbing him in the head with my stick. So that's that's the whole, and that's what the NHL, the old school uh, answer has always been. That's why we need that fighting. So it doesn't digress to guys running around trying to kill each other. It's just, they have a fight and it's over with and we move on. So that's, it. it aside from, from have, uh, feeling for the referees and having a difficult time trying to call this game, I think that's the other big point is what's going to take the place 
of the of the so-called spontaneous retribution of a fight. What's going to take the mm-hmm. place of that moving forward? And it'll be interesting to see. Well, it might be worth it to go watch a couple exhibition games over the over in the queue this year just to see. Do you think it ever bleeds into other leagues oh, now? I feel like I it will at the amateur ranks, but will yeah. it ever bleed into the NHL? Because the NHL will keep an eye on this thing and see what it looks like. And if it goes well and there's no drop in interest, there's no drop in attendance, just from a litigious standpoint, maybe the NHL goes that way and eliminates fighting and uh, and says uh, that we can still get away with that and, and won't see any loss of their fan base. I think that the it would have to happen across the whole CHL first before the NHL is going to think about it. They're not just going to take one league and, and study the results in the Quebec League and say, okay, we're going to do this too. If If one of the three is considered the the outlier, <laughs> the, the one that's most different from the other two, it's the Q, let's face it. I think the O has already taken steps. The Ontario Hockey League has taken steps where they now hand out suspensions once you get to so many fights and that number increases based on your next fight, your next fight. I think it starts after your third fight. I may be wrong. Maybe it's your second. But the point is they now suspend you for your for multiple fights. Uh, they don't kick you out of a game for fighting, though. So I think the time... If the time comes that the the uh, the dub and the OHL, the O and the dub start doing it as well, then you've got a real serious cross section to study and look at stats and numbers and see. It's it's never been enough for them to watch the NCAA where they don't allow fighting and think that that was enough to change the rules. And I don't think just the Q doing it now is enough either. You need it right across the CHL before anything's going to come of it at the National Hockey League level. I think. Do you think it would result in a drop in attendance? a drop in ratings, a drop in interest, if you did go to an NHL that had fighting like the Q does now? Well, it it would be a generational thing, right? Like, as all the rules have changed over the years, a certain generation of fans get used to the game being played a certain way. Like, we talk about all these young kids in the league now with their fancy Dan stick handling stuff and Michigan goals and the things that these kids have the audacity to do. That's because that's the generation they grew up in playing the game where that stuff mm-hmm. was now okay. It wasn't seen so much as showing a guy up. It wasn't seen as being some hot dog. It was just seen as that's another way for me to beat a guy is to put the puck in my feet and do a spinorama and flip it over your head and beat you. It's accepted. Uh, amongst that generation the same thing i think would happen with fighting once it's if it if it's banned the whole generation of people that grow up watching that game will love that game just as much as we love the game that we grew up with watching in the 70s and 80s first they come for fighting then they'll come for body checking and then we'll all be sitting watching hockey i do think that maybe not in our lifetime but before long uh it will be officiated the way women's hockey is where there's lots of contact, but there's no collision based body check style. And I think that's where it's going. And, uh, and I think we'll, for those who were reared on an NHL that had big hitting and had lots of fights and lots of intensity and lots of emotion, there's nothing wrong with the noble cause of keeping young men safe. I think that's a noble cause, but I do think there'll come a point where some fans anyway, will be watching the game and they'll be just think. It'll just occur to them as like, I'm not that into this. I'm not that filled with emotion about it. It may not may not be that case, but I think it will be for some. Well, it would be for me. You take body checking out of the game, I'm done. Yeah, I don't love it either, but it's all about safety now. And uh, I mean, that's why the Q's dumping fighting for this season. And, and, and we should point out, we're talking about apples and oranges here. Like the NHL, that's 
well-paid men. This, when we talk about the Quebec League eliminating fighting, these are teenage amateurs, most of whom, as good as they are, are not going to play in the NHL. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how it all goes. And it uh, starts this year in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. No fighting, or at least if you do fight, there will be uh, an ejection and uh, possible suspension. We'll take a timeout on the program. When we come back, Eric Carlson meets the Pittsburgh media and much more. That's coming up after these words. This is Ryan. Ryan would love to start his own podcast as a fun way to create content for all his platforms, to better connect with his customers and build a new audience. But Ryan isn't great with technology and he has a lot of questions. What's the easiest way to record a high-quality podcast? Does he need to travel to a studio? What equipment will he need? How does he get his podcast online? What if he has an out-of-town guest? Capital Podcast had all of Ryan's answers. After a free consultation, we took care of everything for him. All Ryan had to worry about was jumping on the mic and starring in his own show. He's recording this week's episode right from his office. His expert guest this week is one of his customers who's in a Chicago hotel room. And Capital Podcast is online with them, making sure the final product is perfect. Easy, convenient, professional. Contact us today and star in your own show with CapitalPodcast.ca. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Eric Carlson, the former Ottawa Senator. Great. Back in the news here in the last little while. He's traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins by the San Jose Sharks, and he was introduced this week to the Pittsburgh media. And one of the conversation points, Greg, I found quite interesting in that uh, Eric Carlson had lost some of his zest for the game until this past year. And I'd say he had zest this past <laughs> year, becoming the first defenseman in over 30 years to crack the 100-point plateau and winning his third Norris Trophy. And so he was asked about, you know, what exactly went on in San Jose prior to this past season when he found his zest again. And this was his reply. First off, you know, I've been healthy for, for a longer period of time now. I think that that, um, you know, really showed and, and it, it made me feel a lot better about myself in, in a lot of different ways. I think that, you know, uh, you know, my personal life and, and my kids and my family is, is in a good place and, and kind of settled a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just been a lot of things, uh, you know, throughout the years. I think that's been hard to, to deal with in a way. And, at the time, you don't really think it affects you that much, but looking back, you know it, it's it's always not as easy uh, to deal with deal with certain things like injuries and and some other stuff. And and you know, I, I just feel like I'm in, in a really good spot in my life right now. And uh, you know, I, I had a lot of fun, uh, you know, playing hockey last year and coming to the rink every day, even though uh, it wasn't under the easiest of circumstances and we didn't win very many games. I think uh, you know, credit to. Uh, to everybody who was in San Jose, uh, you know, from the coaching staff and uh, my teammates there, like we, we had fun together uh, and, you know, we made it fun coming in and, and putting in the work. And, and, you know, that was something that, uh, you know, looking back probably uh, was missing a little bit from, from the previous years. It was still a little part of me that was maybe a hope and they'd end up in Ottawa, but it did not happen. And, uh, and you can appreciate, I think when you think about Carlson, you know, you think about the losing in San Jose, you think about the injury factor, like he, he never really, since 2017 onward, because he came out of 2017, that ankle was a mess, like they had to do a surgery that was fairly complicated where they 
take the tendon of the uh, ankle from a cadaver and implant it into Carlson's ankle. And uh, he had a pretty good year with San Jose in his first year, but there's been quite a bit of losing. And then the family factor, you know, we don't need to get into all that stuff. You think about the Hoffman thing, plus some other things as well. You can see where he's probably feeling in a more settled place. And when you're a more settled individual and a person, that makes for a better hockey player at the end of the day. And he sure showed that last year, didn't he? Yeah, and I, I, I certainly think that Kyle Dubas is happy that he's found his zest and hope he continues to find it. And the Pittsburgh Penguins as an organization and their cap situation for the next four years, better hope that Carlson has found his zest and is going to perform to this level <clears throat> again throughout that contract uh, t- tenure. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how it all works out, especially with uh, Chris Letang there. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's similar to when he first arrived, when Carlson first arrived in San Jose. You got two twenty-five minute munchers there. Uh, in, in that case, it was it was uh, Burns and and uh, Carlson. Now you've got Latang and Carlson. From a from a team standpoint, from a GM standpoint, he's looking at it saying, "Oh, great, there's two guys who are going to play fifty minutes. Now I just got to have four other guys who can play ten or or whatever. You know, it's not that difficult, but." It, it really is that difficult. How do you keep both of them happy? Uh, Chris Letang's been there a long time and he was asked by Kyle Dubas how he felt about this signing. If not, not necessarily looking for him to say, yeah, do it, but just kind of going to him and saying, this is what we're thinking of doing and kind of reading body language, I guess, from there and making a decision. But Chris Letang has been the king of that blue line for a long time. He's the number yeah. one power play guy. This is going to be, he's going to be affected. His ice time will be affected. His role in the room will be affected. His, his point totals will be affected. His overall satisfaction of his game and his contribution to the game will be affected. So that's a situation to keep an eye on. Yeah, both right shot defensemen. Similar in their styles, although Latang is a, a good deal feistier and more physical. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good point. Like across the board, you're the right shot defenseman stud who plays all the power play minutes, and now all of a sudden, the new GM brings in another right shot stud on the blue line. That's uh, yeah, that is going to be interesting. What else is Latang going to say other than be exactly. a good soldier and say whatever's good for the team? Doesn't really have a say in things. So it's one thing to say those things because there were there were rumors of a rift between Burns and Carlson yeah. in San Jose, and uh, that's not good for business across the board. And that's another factor. Burns was not in San Jose this past year when Carlson suddenly erupts and has his big year. So, yeah, it will be something interesting to follow uh, to see how things go in Steeltown. And I, I should correct my math, too, though. I said those two are going to play 50. You only got to p- split 10 minutes between the other four. No, you need to split uh, uh, 70 minutes between the other guys because you need two on the ice, right? So two defensemen is 120 minutes a night, and those two guys are going to play 50. So, yeah, you need to split another 70 minutes amongst four guys, which shouldn't be a difficult problem. But even having said that, it's no problem keeping those four guys happy. It's keeping the other two. It's the top two. It's keeping both those big dogs. What happens the first power play that Carlson start, stays out for the whole two minutes? Well, you know, it might be set up that you're, you're the 120 power play. We're the 42nd power play and, and Carlson stays out for the whole two. It's just, there's, there's, it could easily blow up in their faces in Pittsburgh. All right, moving on. The Red Blacks back in action tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. They'll be in Toronto against the Argonauts. The Argos are 6-1 and one on the year, Greg. 
and the Red Blacks are three and five and still kind of waiting on Dustin Crum. You know, he had those two big wins and a lot of it was based on his ability to run the ball. And it looks like teams are starting to kind of load up and challenge him to beat them with his arm. And so far, the offense really hasn't gotten on track just yet. No touchdowns in the game last week. And uh, yeah, they're still trying to find his way, I think, at this stage of the game. End of the day, he is a CFL rookie. But unless that offense gets going uh, on the aerial side of things, they're going to have a hard time in Toronto on Sunday night. Yeah, the the Red Blacks all season have had a great defense. But uh, in, in this league, your defense can only hold for so long. The Argos being where they are and what they are this year, they're going to rack up a lot of points. The Argos are going to score a lot of points on Sunday night. So the Red Blacks bet offense better show up and show up with more than just the quarterback draw, which which seems to work in the last two minutes or last 30 seconds of a game. Every once in a while, the quarterback draw seems to be, I, I think that's half their playbook is, okay, I'm going to uh, take the snap. I'm going to do a, a seven foot drop, and then I'm just going to wait for a hold open and I'll run. Everybody go deep, take all the defenders with you. You know, you need a little more imagination there. And whatever it takes, they, they better come up with it because the offense has not been uh, good enough, at least the last two weeks anyway, and you're playing Toronto, so it better step up around Crum this weekend. I think Red Blacks fans were kind of hoping Chad Kelly might miss one more week, but he looks like he's going to play uh, dealing with an ankle, and he was a full participant at practice, so it looks like he's going to be good to go tomorrow night so that's bad timing because he's been very good for the Argos and finally today speaking of things in Toronto Jose Bautista today or yesterday rather signed a one-day contract with the Blue Jays to officially retire as a Blue Jay on well it'll be this afternoon and he'll go into the Blue Jays level of excellence at Rogers Center later today which honors the most impactful individuals in franchise history and uh, yeah, Mark Shapiro, Mark Shapiro, 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 let's call the whole thing off. He says, there aren't many names as synonymous with Blue Jays baseball. It's Jose Bautista. It's our great honor. He'll retire in a Blue Jays jersey. And uh, I think that's great. I think that's uh, obviously a guy that uh, really came out of nowhere, uh, came up with a Blue Jays after some time, what, in Pittsburgh and really never was. Never really a big home run hitter, but arrived in Toronto and whammo. He was among the best hitters in the game, and we'll all remember the bat flip in 2015. I remember the bat flip. I was at the uh, Broadways in Riverside South. It was a hell of a game. What a, what an inning. It took sure about was. two hours to play that one inning. You had the the uh, the Martin getting hit. Remember that with the, the funky at bat with the foul ball? That wasn't a foul ball, wasn't it? Uh, that was a great game. But Jose Bautista, a lot of great memories of watching he and, and Edward Encarnacion in the heart of the lineup there for the Blue Jays for a number of years. I, I love these types of ceremonies. I, I watch them all the time. I'll, I'll go on YouTube and try to find the video of, of other ones in other cities just to watch the circumstance and the, the pomp of the whole, of the whole event. Nobody doesn't quite like the Habs. We'll see how the Blue Jays handle it, uh, in a couple hours, I guess, from now. Yep, Bautista played 10 years with the club, hit 288 homers with the team, second only behind Carlos Delgado, and holds the single-season franchise record for home runs with a smooth 54. So congratulations to Jose Bautista. And ladies and gentlemen, we'll call it quits right there. Greg, enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you next time. For sure. Have a good weekend, Steve. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. 
If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SendsNationHockey.com.